Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Pete. Um, it is it is awesome to be up here. Uh, this is I think it's about it's about my um. You know what? I'm going to ask you guys to do something. Can we move the chairs like in closer? Like let's have a a more narrow. Um, yeah, I like I like feeling closer to the people I'm speaking with. And yeah, that's great. Anyway, yeah, I think Pete and I met probably about about 20 years ago, um, doing summer festivals uh, up here in Minnesota. Um, there was a, a connection there, and I was down in Pittsburgh, and it was just a blessing to come up and and um, so I've I've really gotten to know uh, Minnesotans in a lot of way. I have a real uh, fond place in my heart for y'all for all all. The, yeah, that's right. I, I live in Raleigh now. So I came down from Pittsburgh and down to Raleigh. I started saying y'all all the time. And down there, I'm, you know, uh, hey, yo, Patrick, how are you? You know, and up here, it's, hey, Pat, yeah. <laughs> and uh, don't you know? And um, anyway, a real fond, fond place in my heart for all of you, for the Johnnies and the Tommies and and what is it, the Bennies? Yeah, so I'm getting to, to know some of you in that way. And how many number eights do we have out there? Okay, yeah, you're my people t- this week. Okay, so please, like, pray for me. Thank you. Um, so as I, as I thought about uh, coming back up here, it's been about 10 years since I've been up here. And, um, and I thought, boy, I feel like, I feel kind of out of, I feel rusty in terms of doing these kind of camps and everything. I've, I've tried to pour myself into the church down in, in Raleigh, North Carolina. I thought, what can I, what can I talk to them about? And I, I just got to thinking about the church. And I, I got to thinking about, you know, why do we, why do we come together? And, and for so many of us, it's, it's really, it's, it's the same reason. It's the reason we come to, to camps like this. It's, it's to love. You know, we look at our lives and we say, I'd like to love more. I would like to love my family more. I would love, like to love my kids more, my wife, uh, my church. I'd, I'd like to learn how to apply love in the world, you know, how to, how to love coworkers, how to love difficult people, um, how to love enemies. If Jesus is, you know, serious about loving your enemies and really think about people who are making life difficult in this world, how to love them. I, I, I want to I learn how to love more. So that's what I'm going to be speaking to you guys uh, about. And, um, and I, I, I hope I, I'm going to speak with humility because I, I bet a lot of you are better at love than, than I am. I, I bet a lot of you um, have wonderful stories about how God has formed you and shaped you in love. But, um, but I'm going to be speaking from the scriptures, and the scriptures always have something to say to us, always have a way of shaping us and forming us more and more into the image of, of the one who loves the best, and, and that is Jesus. So our goal this week is love. Can, can you say that? Our goal is? Love. Okay, but our problem is life. Our problem is life. Life so often gets in the way. Um, I was talking with uh, with. One of the gals who used to be part of our church, we planted a church, and she's gone and done that, but we're still connected through um, a school that some of our kids uh, mutually attend, and actually my kids are 
20, uh, 29 and 27, so they're not in school anymore, but we have a, a family that we're really invested in, and we've helped this one young kid get into this academy. And so she was telling me this, this story about her own kid. One night she was going to, to put him to bed. His name's Chesson. And he goes, Mommy, Mommy, can, can I please have a glass of water? And she's like, oh, gosh. He's, you know, he's doing that whole extend the bedtime thing. And she's like, Chesson, do you really need a glass of water? Oh, yes, Mommy, I'm, I'm really thirsty. She's like, all right. And he, she starts to head out. And he said, but, but, but only if you can do it with love. See, love is our goal. Love is our goal, but life is our problem. We have irritations. We have, have things that press in. We've got our schedules. We get tired. We, we get cranky. Um, and and I, I don't know about you, but so, so many days I wake up, and it just seems like my wiring is off, right? Like love just seems to be the farthest thing off of, off of my radar. And other mornings, it's, it's right on. It, it's... It's dialed in, and, and everything's great. And I, I come down, and I'm getting my coffee, and my wife comes downstairs, and it's off of her radar, <laughs> you know? And immediately that knocks me off of my radar as well. Love is our goal, but life is our problem. So I want to look this week at a bunch of, of really problem-filled relationships in the Bible, of, of people who wanted to love and fell short, uh, of people who learned to love in hard ways, of, uh, of people who pressed in towards love, and of people who ran from love. And, um, and I want to start with you right at the beginning. I want to start with, with you with the relationship of Adam and Eve. And, uh, and right away, I, I may be kind of on shaky ground because this this almost knocked me off my spiritual course. When, when I was a teenager, um, my mom had enrolled us in a, in a CCD class, my sister and I, and we went, and the, it was about Adam and Eve, and, you know, I was skeptical, and I asked all these kind of skeptical questions, and I didn't feel like they answered me well, and so the, the, the next week, we took our, our money for the offering in the class, and my sister and I crossed the highway and, and spent it on donuts. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I, I'm sad because uh, maybe there were some things I could have really learned from Adam and Eve at that point. Because the Adam and Eve account really has an interesting pattern that you see in the world over and over and over again. And I, I, I put it in this way. The pattern is, wow, oh, and here we go. Can you say that? Just let's say it together. Ready? Wow. Oh, and here we go. So here, here's what I mean by that. Okay, wow. Genesis chapter 1 is, is just, it's full of wow. If you, you read the Bible, that, I believe that this is the way to read Genesis chapter 1. When God is creating everything and it says the earth is formless and void. And then he spoke and he said, let there be light. And there was light. And this great preacher, Tony Campolo, says, God probably was like the heart of a little child just saying, wow, you know, as he saw that light. And then, and then he did what a child does. He, he says, do it again. Do it again. And he, he'd create a flower and he'd go, do it again. And I, I'm starting to, to experience this again in my life because I've got a grandson and his name is Miles. And can we, 
put Miles up there. <laughs> so I, I told my daughter and her husband, do it again. <laughs> you know? like, he's, just, he's just the cutest thing. And, um, and he's getting older, so that, that's his baby picture. But um, can you do the next picture? There he is. He's a Minnesotan. Look at that. I mean, who would think? Who would think that that would come from my genes somehow? But, uh, but yes, he is related, and I just love playing with him and tickling him. And, and though he can't speak yet, he's starting to kind of form words. He's not able to say it. You see it in his eyes. Do it again. Do it again. Genesis 1. It is full of that do it again, that wonder, that wow. And it says that as God is creating everything, as he's creating the stars and the skies, it says that God steps back day one. He says, it's good. He steps back day two, like an artist surveying what he's painted. It's good. He steps back day three. It's good. Day four. It's good. Do it again. Day five. It's good. And then on day six, it says that he created man and woman, male and female. In his image, he created them. And then he says to them, I want you to take everything I've done and use it for good. Rule over it. Enjoy it. Bless others with it. Tend it, cultivate it, bring art, bring culture, bring, bring life, bring crops, bring gardens out of it, bring beauty. And it says at the end of the sixth day after creating man and woman that God stepped back and said, it's very good. It is very good. Wow. God likes wow. But even, even in the garden, even in this wonderful creation, there was something that was not so good. It says in, in verse 218, in, in, a, in a second account of the creation, kind of God gives us his first account, and then, and then we come back in and see it from a different angle. And God begins to speak more clearly about Adam and Eve and about their relationship. And it says in verse 218, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. You know, a lot, a lot of people say, oh, at this point. Here's the, oh, 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 here we go, right? Oh, woman is, is supposed to be kind of secondary to man. That's what the Bible teaches, right? Oh, I don't like that. You know, that word suitable helper, Ezer Konegdo, I know, I know some of you probably know this, the only other place it's used in the Old Testament is of God himself. God says to Adam, I'm going to give you one who is like unto me. One who is, is going to come alongside you. One who you're going to look at, Adam, and you're going to say, wow, she's for you as I am for you. That's, that's what I'm doing here. That's what I'm about. And so Adam's response um, really was wow. In verses 24 through 25, he, he, he sees the woman that God had taken from a, a rib in his side and made this woman from the rib. And it says, the man said, this is now bone of my bones 
and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Adam looked at this woman, and he's like, wow, she completes me. It's a picture here of, of, uh, of lovely and erotic and romantic and practical and physical and emotional and, and spiritual intimacy. When I'm, when I'm counseling couples, I love to go to this passage. In particular, when I'm counseling couples who are thinking of being married, and, um, and you know, a lot of times, some of those couples are already living together. They're all already sleeping together. And and I, I want to say, let's take a step back because we want to enter into marriage as, as God intends. We, we want marriage to be for you a wow. We want, it, we want you to experience in marriage the kind of intimacy that you're intended to, to, to experience emotionally and physically and spiritually and financially and, and all those things. Uh, Tim, Tim Keller says this. He says, the Bible says, don't unite with someone physically unless you are also willing to unite with a person emotionally, socially, economically, and legally. Don't become physically naked and vulnerable without becoming vulnerable in every other way. So that's one of the, the sad lies of our society is, is they say one of the greatest things you can do is have sexual intimacy. And, and don't worry about the other stuff. If, if you're meant to be together, well, it'll work out. But instead, God is saying, I want you to commit wholeheartedly to one another in every possible way. And it's only in that way that you'll see my beauty, that you'll see my image begin to emerge in your relationship. So Keller goes on to say, if sex is a method that God invented to do whole life entrustment, it should not surprise us that sex makes us feel deeply connected to the other person. Unless you deliberately disable or numb it through overuse, in the midst of sexual passion, you will naturally want to say things like, I will always love you, even if you're not legally married. You'll find yourself quickly feeling marriage-like ties. And the conundrum is this. Living unmarried but feeling marriage-like ties confuses, hardens, and eventually works backwards, making you less able to commit and trust the other person. So as, as I'm speaking to a crowd like this, I, you know, I, I imagine maybe you might be all over the map. Some of you might say, yeah, that's absolutely right. Others might say, well, you know, I, we lived together before we got married and everything. But so much of being a Christian means winding back the tape and saying, all right, God, how would you have us move forward from here? And sometimes God will have us go through seasons of, of repentance, of saying, okay, I didn't do it in your model. And because of that, it had impact. Maybe some impacts I don't see, and maybe some I do. Maybe some of the lack of emotional intimacy in your marriage may be due to missteps you took in your courtship or in your dating years. Maybe some of the mistrust in areas of finance is related to the ways you related to one another and, and maybe bypassed God's word in those areas as well. So I, so I often try to call the church and couples to examine 
their relationships biblically? And say, is it matching up with, with what God says right from the very beginning? That I intend for you to be emotionally, intimately, physically, relationally, financially, wholeheartedly committed to one another before that union. Because that union is just a picture of all the rest of that and a culmination of all the rest of that. And, and people might say, well, that's just like, that's prudish, you know? And our society says that. But the Bible doesn't counsel sexual abstinence, again, Keller says, before marriage because it has such a low view of sex, but because it has such a lofty one. We are intended to read Genesis 2 erotically, to, to see that there is this emotional and this sensual response of Adam that just says, wow, but it is all tied up with all those other forms of intimacy that God intends. God intends the wow. He wants it in his people. He wants it in his families. He wants it in his relationships between husbands and wives. And it ought to lead to love. Our goal, right? What's our goal? What's our problem? Mm. See, so often it's wow, and then it's, oh, oh. Um, let, me, let me read to you from Genesis 3, 1 through 5, because the, the O comes in really fast. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say that? The woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. I almost wonder if he's even touching the tree at this point. Look, see? You're not going to die? Look! For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Oh, I'll be, I'll be like God. Wow, that's, that's something else. But isn't that the number one problem in life? That everywhere we go, there's, there's people who are saying, I can be like God. I, I can call the shots. I, I can find my, the truest expression of myself by living to the full and, and grabbing what I want. Um, Finding Nemo really na nails it. Um, how many of you saw Finding Nemo? Remember the seagulls? What did the seagulls say? Mine, 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 mine. That's our world. That's you. That's me. Mine, mine. That comes from right from here, from believing the devil's lies. You can be like God. You can take what you want. Mine. Mine. Hmm. And the result is the world that we have. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. He was standing right there, silent, passive, waiting to see what would happen. 
Maybe, oh, let me see what happens when she touches the tree. I don't know. So he took some also and ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig trees together and made covering for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? It's an existential question. Where, where are you? That's what I don't know when I come to, to speak to a, a group like this. Where are you? Uh, Steve Brown says that whenever he speaks to a group of 10 people, at least seven of them have broken hearts. At least seven of them are dealing with something. that and God is saying, where are you? Where are you right now? He says it to Adam out of his love and his compassion. Adam answered, I, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, that woman, you know, I was, I was getting coffee. I mean, it, I, was, I, was, I mean, I was full of life and love today. It was, was going to be a great day. And she came down in the worst mood. It was her, right? The man, he pointed, it's her. She, 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 she gave me the fruit, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, well, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. The devil made me do it. I mean, it's not my fault. I, I'm just human, right? Isn't that the world we live in? Blame and shame. Blame and shame. It is. It's the Democrats. It's the Democrats. <laughs> Oh, it's Trump. It's the Republicans. Can you believe? I mean, it's, we, we blame and we shame. We blame and we shame over and over again. If there was wow on day one for Adam and Eve, there was oh on day two. The realizing of our shortcomings. The realizing of our shame. I, I can relate. Um, I'm going to show you a picture of my wife. This is when... Um, when we were dating, oh, wow, she's beautiful, don't you think? You better, all right? I mean, that, her name's Susan. Su Susan's not up here this week because she's an introvert. <laughs> and I mean, being with a group of people, she would love you one-on-one, -on -one, but you guys as a, as a whole, <laughs> boy, she'd, she'd be wiped out by the end of the week. And so she, but she loves you because I know she's praying for you. And she's praying for me. And, um, and boy, when I first saw Susan, when I first saw her, her hair was down to here. We met in high school. And I was like, wow. And as I got to know her, I was even wow, even more. I'm like, I want to marry that girl or some girl like her. Praise the Lord. Thank you for hearing my prayer. And, um, and, and we did get married. But, oh, quickly followed. Oh, oh. Wow. Do you know what it's like for an ENFP? How many of you know Byers-Briggs? ENFP to marry an ISTJ. Yeah. I mean, oh, like, 
I was so naive. Like, I thought, she's going to like all the things I like. You know, she's going to. And it, we, like, we clashed so much about so, so many things. And, um, and I'm afraid that she probably experienced, oh, even more, even more than I did. I, I, was, I was a youth minister. And, um, and I remember I, I was going to be doing program for the first time at a camp. I was so excited. Uh, we, had, we had our two young kids. I mean, another O is our, our first daughter was born like 11 months after we got married, you know. So it's like right like that. We're right into being parents. And, and, uh, and then we ended up having our second daughter who our first daughter was super easy. Our second daughter was super difficult and everything. And, um, and I'm getting ready to go to this camp, and, and my wife becomes deadly sick. I mean, she is just, she's like lying on the couch, and she's like, please, please don't go. Don't leave me with a kiss. I'm like, honey, come on, we've got a great church. Like, let, let's call up, let's call up Ginger, or let's call up, and we were naming, I'm naming different people, and she's like, She's introverted, so she doesn't want to do that. She doesn't want to ask people for things. And she's like, no, no, please don't go. And I'm like, and I'm getting mad. You know, inside I'm thinking, oh, she's just being so unreasonable. Like, she's going to get through this. I mean, this is important. I can't say no to this camp. Well, how are they going to run program? I'm the, I'm the program director. I'm the number one funny person in the run-on skit. What, what are we going to, what are they going to do? Kids will go to hell if I don't show up. <laughs> And make them laugh, you know? And, and so I left. I just figured she's, she's going to get through it. It was, like, it was like a knife to her heart. It took us years to get over that. that. That would bubble up every time there was some other kind of disappointment or pain or hurt. And um, it would actually take me years to realize how wrong I was. You know, I apologized probably, you know, within a few days of coming back, but I didn't really mean it. It would, take me, it would take me years of God having to mature me and grow me up to be able to say, I am, I am so sorry that I did that. I wouldn't, I would hope I would never do that again. And, uh, and I'm sorry for what it did to you and what it did to our marriage. Well, our 31st anniversary is coming up. You can show the next picture. Um, there we are. Yeah, Christmas time. And um, anyway, you can take that off. Susan says hi and loves you. Um, but it's by God's grace that, that we never got divorced. Some of the things that we went through in our marriage. And, um, and it's by God's grace that she loves me today and that I love her. And, um, and, and that's, that's why I say the pattern is, wow, oh, because we see each other's failures, we see each other's faults, we blame each other, we shame each other, we hide from one another, we're, we're less than intimate emotionally, we're less than intimate socially, we're, we're less than intimate intellectually, uh, we withhold ourselves sexually from one another from time to time, we, we, we don't give to one another the, the way that we should. And so there's so much O oh in our lives. Um, but then the, the next step is here we go. 
And, and that can happen one of two ways. Sadly for many, it's here we go, I'm done. I'm done, I'm out. I'm, I'm heading off, I'm, I'm gonna go find somebody else, some other wow that I know is just gonna fulfill me and gonna make it right. And, and sadly, I see this as a pastor. I, I, I see people come to me and, um, you know, my wife has left me, my husband has left me, and, and they're looking for that wow and they think it's gonna complete them. And they, they, they're naive not to believe that there's gonna be an O that's gonna follow shortly behind. And they say, here we go, because I'm going to go shoot, shoot for that. But the other here we go is, all right, we've got the O. We've got the problems and, and the less thans and all. But here we go. Let's, let's step into it. So we, we see this in, um, in Genesis. God speaks to them. He speaks some curses. He speaks to the serpent, but I'll, I'll bypass that for a moment. And he says, to the woman... I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. There's going to be this, this curse that what was meant to just be fairly easy is, is going to be, become very difficult. Childbearing and child rearing is, is not going to be all the joys. There's going to be hard parts of it. Um, there's going to be illnesses. There's going to be troubles. There's going to be rebellions. There's going to be those kind of things. Your desire is going to be for your husband. You're going to want him to be more than he is. You're going to be tempted to find yourself in him. You're going to be disappointed when he falls short. You're going to say, what's wrong with me? You're going to look at yourself through his eyes. And it's going to be less than in so many ways. This is going to be the curse that's now over you because you've chosen to, to walk away from my blessing. You've chosen to say, I want to be ruler of all things. And when you are, that's going to be the result. And you're going to experience that and struggle through that. And to the man, he said, because you listened to your wife, because you were there passive, because you didn't, pass on my command to her in a way that she could understand and hold on to. Because you ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. Not everything that you put your hand to is going to turn golden. You're going to really have to struggle for what you get in life. And sometimes you're going to look at it and it's not going to seem too satisfying on the way here. Pete asked me, so how is it being a pastor? And I wish I could just say, it is all great. It is so awesome. People come to Christ left and right. Lives are changed and transformed. Uh, when we sing, it's like awesome. Everybody's got their hands raised and, you know, but no, it's, there's struggles. There's marriages that are having problems and families that are having problems and illnesses and, and conundrums in business and people doing things that you, you would think that in their walk of Christ, they, they wouldn't be doing anymore, but they still are. People putting, um, putting their, their leisure first, putting their pleasure first, whatever it might be. The work is hard, and we've all experienced it. But here we go. 
here we go. We've got to realize that we're on a journey full of wows and ohs, but that faith is required. It's called for. A long obedience in the same direction as Eugene Peterson said. But it's not God forsaken. No matter what life throws at you, it's not God forsaken. David in Psalm 27 says, I, I know that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But too often Christians say, I, I'm just holding on, waiting to get to heaven because this life is so hard. But we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That means now. That, that means that in this journey, in this struggle through, in this here we go, there is God and he is with us. And we know this because of the cross. And we get the first glimpse of the cross in this account. It's the first glimpse. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And commentators have, have long interpreted this to be fulfilled at the cross of Jesus Christ, where the serpent, the poisonous serpent, bit our Lord. And he suffered death on the cross for our sins. But at the same time, what Satan thought was his victory was his undoing. For on the cross, bearing our sins, bearing all our oaths, all our struggles, all our strifes, all our disappointments, all our hatreds, all our rebellions, bearing those all, he took them down into the grave with him. And he banished them forever. And he rose to life. And he now says, come follow me. Come follow me. Here we go. Here we go. I'll take you through it. So I, I, I want to... I I'm going to wrap it up right at this point by, um, by sending you off into, into your small groups and considering some of these questions. And I think we're going to put them up on the screen here. Um, <laughs> there we are. So, so the questions will, will be right up there. And I want you to wrestle with, with Adam and Eve. Some of you may be like, Adam and Eve are literal people. Others may say, Adam and Eve are a story. Hey, wherever you come from, God has given us this account. Genesis is the book of beginnings, right? And so Genesis was written for the very purpose of helping us understand who we are in God's eyes from the beginning, who God is from the very beginning what God intends to do and how he intends to walk us through. So I want you to, to wrestle with these questions in your group and be as, as honest with each other as possible and begin to, to delve into question number five that I hope we'll, we'll go into even more this week of how Jesus um, reverses the curse and helps us meet that goal to love. Can, can I pray for you? Father, thank you for this group of people who love one another clearly, um, who love their families, who love their churches, love uh, probably in so many ways. 
We ask, Lord, that this week uh, we would come out of this camp even loving better, loving more like Jesus, uh, experiencing the fullness of the reversal that uh, began at the cross and that he is carrying on to completion until his day that he returns. So we offer ourselves to you and, and thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.